0: In this sermon delivered on Trinity Sunday, June 3, 2007, S.D. Cantor explores the biblical roots of the ancient Christian understanding of the Trinity, and some of the early Church texts that undergird this theology. In these cases, and in contemporary ways of explaining one of the most arcane parts of the Christian faith, relationship seems to be key to our better understanding the mystery of God, Creator, Redeemer, and Spirit.
1: In the name of the Creator and the Redeemer and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, I have been advised that in most churches it is a tradition for the rector to go away on Trinity Sunday and leave it to the associate to explain the Trinity. So although I know that's very far from Richard's mind, nonetheless he is in Japan and here I am this morning. Well, when I thought about it and did some reading, seems to be very little doubt that the idea of the Trinity probably has its roots in ancient Hebrew thought, as so much does in the Bible. The Holy Spirit, after all, is the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God that moved over the water in Genesis 1 in the beginning. And when we chant the Sanctus together, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. We are simply quoting Isaiah 6.3, when the seraphs attend the Lord God on his throne. In ancient Hebrew thought, chanting anything three times made it very emphatic, made it holy. In fact, when a person wanted to become a Jew, any non-Jew who wanted to convert had to be dipped three times in the holy mikveh the ritual bath of conversion before he was considered a Jew. Well, in early Christianity, there were all sorts of explanations of the Trinity, uh, starting with the ancient church fathers and on through the ages. But as I read through them, they really didn't make much sense to me. And I think they didn't necessarily make much sense to the people at the time. Um, I read one quote, which was that a a sort of an ordinary middle-class Roman citizen uh, of the time of the great controversies about the Trinity was said to complain that he couldn't even go to the barber shop and get his hair cut without the barber saying, how can Christ be begotten but not made? How can he be the Son but not the creation? How can he be begotten but not a creature of the Father? So there was this great controversy, and there was a lot of confusion about exactly what it meant. But in the Bible, the first mention of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the New Testament anyway, is in the Great Commission, Uh, Jesus has already died, has risen, is on the mountain in Galilee. And he says to his disciples, some are worshiping, some are doubting, just like us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. What exactly he meant by that was apparently still a little unclear to the church fathers in the early times. Ignatius of Antioch in AD 110 attempts to explain the Trinity like this. For our God, Jesus Christ, was conceived by Mary in accord with God's plans of the seed of David, it is true, but also of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to use the Trinity as kind of a model for community. Study, therefore, to be established in the doctrines of the Lord and the apostles so that all things, whatsoever you do, may prosper both in the flesh and in the spirit, in faith and in love, in the Son, in the Father, and in the Holy Spirit, in the beginning and in the end. Then Justin Martyr in AD 151 says rather defensively, we will prove that we worship him reasonably, for we have learned that he is the son of the true God himself, and he holds a second place, and the spirit of prophecy a third. For this they accuse us of madness, saying that we attribute to a crucified man a place second to the unchangeable and eternal God, the creator of all things, but they are ignorant of the mystery therein. Gregory of Nyssa, the fourth century theologian, writes that it is impossible to think of one member of the Trinity without thinking of the others too. He likens them to three links of a chain that pull each other in the same direction. Well, luckily for me, we talked about this in Bible study on Wednesday, and I I got at least one good idea of what you might think of the the Trinity as being. Someone said, well, I can be a father or a mother, a son or a daughter, and still be myself. I am all the same being with these three different relationships. And I like the explanations of the Trinity that are strictly in terms of relationship. I also heard it in the following way. That God, the Father, is the omnipotent, the creator, the person who created the vast reaches of the universe. And that God, the Son, since he has been a person on earth, is someone we can have a close relationship with, a relationship of love. And then the Holy Spirit is that which moves inside of us, the spirit of love that can be inside of our hearts. C.S. Lewis takes an interesting crack at explaining the Trinity for a 20th century audience. In a chapter in Mere Christianity called The Three-Personal God, he compares the Trinity to the three dimensions of space. I must ask you to follow rather closely, he warns, as he begins the analogy. A world of one dimension would be a straight line. In a two-dimensional world, several lines might make a figure, But in a three-dimensional world, you would still have the figure, but now it would be solid, a cube instead of a square, a sphere instead of a circle. As we advance to more real things, we don't lose anything of what we find in the simpler levels. You still have them, but combined in new ways, ways you could not imagine if you only had the simpler levels. Then it goes on to explaining that the Trinity could be seen in the image of a man praying. When a man kneels down to pray, he is trying to get in touch with God. The Holy Spirit inside him is prompting him to pray. Christ the Son is standing beside him, helping him to pray. You see what is happening, says Lewis. You can almost sense his excitement. God is the goal he is trying to reach, but that prompting inside of him, that is also God. And God is also the Son, the road along which he is being pushed toward that goal. That man is being pushed into a higher form of spiritual life, what I call Zoe, which is the Greek word for life. In a children's homily I once heard, the preacher tried to explain the Trinity in a different way, with a flashlight and a mirror. The homilist said that the flashlight represented God the Father, the mirror, God the Son, and that the reflection on the children's faces from the mirror was like the Holy Spirit. I like that analogy. The light of God is mirrored in Jesus. The same light that is in God shines on us from Jesus, which he really can't help shining onto us. Clearly, it is all the same light. In our Gospel reading of today, Jesus tells his disciples that he has many things to tell them, but they cannot bear them now. In a different translation that I like, it's called The Message, it reads, Jesus says you can't handle what I have to say now. And it makes me feel, can we ever handle a mystery as potent as God or a mystery as complex as the Trinity? It may be best to leave it to the spirit of truth. As it says in the Gospel, the spirit of truth will speak whatever he hears from the Father, and he will declare to you the things to come. And perhaps what is to come is that Someday, in just the right light, we might see a reflection of our own faces in that Christ-like mirror. Amen.